So, Ashley, so let me let me start. Ashley Smith, or is it Doctor Ashley Smith? Technically, it's Doctor Ashley Smith. Doctor Ashley Smith. Let's keep it formal to start with. Um, the listeners won't know how much drama we've had in the first 15, 20 minutes <laughs> waiting to kick this off. Um, but can I can I just express public, publicly my sincere thanks for your patience in allowing us to get set up. It really is appreciated. You're joining us all the way from the US of A. I believe it's Chicago, mm-hmm. right? So Kansas thank City, you Missouri. Ah, very nice. Very, and you, you can tell us you can tell us all about the environment there and uh, and the location and how long you've been there. We'll get in. We'll get into all of that. So um, we are episode eight of You Understood, and really the objective here is really informal, um, really transparent, honest conversation about the world, right, and life uh, generally, and. Um, you know, everyone's opinions uh, count. Um, and, you know, we're really keen to hear about the lived experiences that are out there, because we believe strongly that through those lived experiences, a lot can be learned and gained by people who are who are going through things perhaps for the first time, that somebody else has actually had to, to, to go through before. And um, whilst the journey may not be the same, uh, there are little gems here and there that can be taken and used for great kind of positive impact. So, you know, the idea of the podcast to support our um, very early but ever evolving uh, mental health app is really just to support it through that lived experience and and, and people telling their own stories. So delighted to have you. Um, very thankful you could join us and hugely appreciative. Um I'm I'm not going to do a lot of talking. I hope so. Pull me up on it. Um, if I if I do too much, please could you tell the listeners a little intro uh, around Dr. Ashley Smith, and uh, just tell them who who you are and uh, you know what what it is you do. That would be great. Sure. I'm excited to be here and and talk about this kind of stuff. So officially, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. So that means I have a PhD in psych. And um, I've been studying and treating anxiety disorders for about 20 years now. So what that means is I have a, currently I'm in a, in private practice. So I work one-on-one with people in my therapy practice. In the past, I've worked in children's hospitals, anxiety specialty centers. So my job is really to help people break free from anxiety, OCD, which is obsessive compulsive disorder, and all the things that go with that, stress, depression, um, insecurity, doubt. And what I do is I I teach them really how their brain works and what to do to overcome those sort of built-in biases and glitches. So that's my day job and and the official title, right? Um, licensed psychologist, I'm a speaker and an author and all that stuff. As a human, I also know what it's like to be anxious and to kind of get smacked by life. I have a rare degenerative retinal disease that makes me legally and increasingly blind. And for a really long time, I mean, I've had symptoms since I was a child, but I could fake it pretty well and uh, fake being normally sighted. And so I really worked a long time to hide it. Uh, And then my vision loss progressed to the point where I wasn't able to hide it anymore. I, I can't drive a car. I have a hard time recognizing faces when I walk in to a room. So I had to really come out with that disability. And when I first did that, for me, it was a really, oh, it was a really hard time. It was dark. It was scary. I I don't know. I still don't know at this point how much vision I will lose. I have a diagnosis now. I spent most of my life without a an actual diagnosis, just a bunch of specialists saying, we don't know why you can't see you're probably fine. And at this point though, I've had to really figure out what does it mean to still live a good life? How do you overcome the fear that comes with that uncertainty and to learn to really thrive. And as a psychologist, a nice side effect of my day job is I have great coping skills. I use them every day. I practice what I preach. But I, when I hit that really low point with my vision, it, it just, it wasn't enough. 
the anxiety skills, the um, kind of brain hacking stuff that that I do professionally just wasn't enough. So that sent me on this journey down the path toward uh, a good life. I am a professional nerd and I used those skills and really dove into the science of happiness because I figured I'm not the only person to struggle. There's like so many people have been talking about this for thousands of years, right? Philosophers and leaders and scientists. So I went down that path too. And really, again, put a lot of it into practice, use what I teach. And now I see my reason for being is to help people understand how their brains work, how they work against us and how we can really, regardless of what life gives you, learn to thrive despite it and live a bold, happy life. There, there was so much uh, that I, I, I was lucky enough to catch your TED talk, your TED clip. And um, there was so much in there that was inspirational. Um, I'm still waiting for the backflip, by the way. I, I've got to see the backflip. <laughs> um, but there was, there was so much in there that was inspirational, um, particularly related to your, your condition and the, and the challenge of overcoming that. And mm -hmm. you're right, for every individual, there's a host of multifaceted challenges that present themselves during, during our time here. And mm -hmm. sometimes they can come en masse, right, and, and overwhelm mm -hmm. us. Um, but equally, mm -hmm. we get drawn down a rabbit hole. And, and one, one of the things that I was particularly interested in was your comments and, and you just repeated them there around how our minds play tricks on us, right? Or, or, or they mm -hmm. distort our perception of reality or, or uh, logic. And I, I kind of see that playing out all the time. So mm -hmm. I, I, I see it a different way. So not a different way, a, a similar way, but I, I articulate it a different way. So I, I see a kind of a great detachment taking place, a detachment between you know, humans and, and the environment, uh, a detachment between real meaningful relationships. Um, you know, they're all kind of short, digitally led mm -hmm. sound bites now, um, the way we interact with each other, our, our relationship with our physical um, bodies. So, so what, what do I mean by that? I mean that, um, you know, we don't listen to ourselves anymore. And, you know, mm -hmm. we eat when we see something rather than when we're hungry or we'll stay mm -hmm. up late when we're tired because we want to watch a movie right so what, what i mean by all, mm -hmm. all of that sort of stuff is we we've got this great detachment going on and and i see it manifesting itself in a kind of a void um it, there's a gap there's a there's a there's a um there's a mass kind of search for the reason um for being and and mm -hmm. people are perhaps I, I wonder what you think about um, and we'll come on to the brain thing, but people are perhaps focused on um, having rather than being, right? So yeah, I, I want I want that, or if I get this, I'll be happy, mm -hmm. or if I you know get a PB over here, or if I lose some weight, or if I buy a new car, or if I get this brand of clothing, all of those things, those outwardly facing things, will bring me happiness. And I don't see mm -hmm. any of that stuff really bringing great, I mean, meaningful contentment or fulfillment to an individual. But when, when somebody focuses on being and being themselves um, and enjoying the present, what a transformation. I see it in my own children. Right. And, um, but to, to your point specifically, my mind, I know, um, as well as everyone else's, really does, I, I know what's logically good for me to do. And yet day to day, week to week, month to month, I often ignore it. So mm -hmm. why does that happen? Like we do, we all do it, yeah. right? We do things that aren't good for right. us or we, we don't do things that are good for us. Um, and yet we know, logically, we know those are the right things to do or to avoid. So just just give, give us a bit of an insight as to what's going on there, because that was fascinating for me. Yeah, this is the stuff that I love to talk about, right? So if you think about... <laughs> I like to think about our brains and our minds like a biological computer, right? So we're running around with these massively powerful biological computers inside our skull, right? The brain is the hardware, the mind is the software, kind of like the apps or the programs. 
And the thing is from day one, these biological machines are scanning the the environment, they're taking in our experiences and they're trying to figure out how the world works and our place in it. And they recognize patterns. That's what they do. Our minds are pattern recognition machines and they start to take in all of this and draw conclusions and recognize patterns. And I like to think of this as our programming. If we really want to be technical, these are our, our deeply held beliefs, which are the things we take to be true. So it's kind of the the facts that our, our minds think they know, but this all becomes sort of our subconscious programming. It's the instructor, the instruction manual for how to be a human. So we go through life, but what we need to understand is why our minds evolved in the first place. And that is to keep us alive. So their number one job, keep us safe. So the way they process information is all directed to that goal. So if you think about all of the millions of bits of information coming in every second of every day, right? Everything we can see, hear, smell, taste, touch outwardly, everything we can sense inwardly, what our bodies are doing, our emotions, the thoughts coming in, memories and urges. Right. And our brains have to sort through all of that so very quickly to keep us alive. They've developed shortcuts. So we can't necessarily trust that what we think and what we perceive is this objective reality of what's happening. So our brains take these shortcuts all designed to keep us alive. So what does that mean? That means they're biased toward the negative, right? If we go way back caveman, it makes way more sense to be tuned into threat than to pleasure, right? So if you hear sounds nearby, if you can assume that might be a predator, you can stay safe. So we, we jump to these worst case, uh, conclusions. We really, we notice the negative stuff way more often than we do the bad much more quickly. It's like we have a spotlight in our brain for bad stuff. Why? Because if we notice that we can stay safe. So think about when you start to venture into unfamiliar territory, right? Like starting a new job or going on a date or I don't know the last three years in the world, right? Like there's all of this uncertainty. So what happens? Our mind's trying to figure stuff out. It's trying to look for patterns. It's going to go to the worst case scenario, unless you've done the work to train it. Okay. So part of this, the other pieces that I really want to hit with this is, so brain's number one job, keep us safe. Number two is conserving energy. Way, way, way back when food wasn't readily available, we didn't have guaranteed calories, which means we didn't have guaranteed energy. So our brains got really stingy about spending energy and our brains uh, compared to everything else in our body. They spend the most energy, consume the most, use the most energy. Yeah. Yeah. So what do they do to save energy? They back burner things. They put it on autopilot, right? So think about if you, for those of you who drive, if you've ever like moved or switched jobs, you get in your car, two weeks later, and all of a sudden you find your way, you're like halfway to your old house or to your old job before you kind of come back online and realize like, where am I going? Your brain went on autopilot because when you got in the car, it goes, oh, I know this program drive home and it switches to autopilot. And this is to your point about being present. So we're not present. We get lost in these thoughts again. Right. So our brains want to make things easy. So what I love to tell people is about half of what you do in any given day is because of autopilot programming. You're not in charge unless you're really working to be mindful and intentional about what you're doing. And all of this is the most long-winded way to get back to your point of, we know what we should do, but in those moments, we go with our default programming. That's whatever is safe, familiar, easy, or the things that bring us pleasure. It's a lot easier to sit and watch TV than it is to get up and go for a run. Brains want to save energy. Really interesting. So, so that, that's, yeah, that's, that's, um, I, I guess that's a bit, that's really challenging, isn't it? Because you, you're effectively saying mm -hmm. that the, the subconscious is driving the bus, mm -hmm. right? At most yeah. of the day. Mm -hmm. And unless mm -hmm. you make an effort to, to take mm -hmm. the wheel, um, because mm -hmm. actually you want to stop here and you want to do this, then 
you mm-hmm. you're a passenger on that journey more and more unless you make that you know mm-hmm. self-conscious effort to take the wheel and to take control i guess so that that mm-hmm. gets into you know good habits and how we change those behaviors that's that's a that's mm-hmm. a tough thing for anyone to do right if if the behaviors yeah. are baked in to suddenly change that is 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 really tough um is it mm-hmm. i guess i guess in my head you, you and and you mentioned the kind of the world outside it's it's grim right at, at the moment mm-hmm. and there's all sorts of stuff we've just come off the the back of a pandemic we're now you know looking at wars uh, that are happening we're looking at kind of you know refugee crisis we're looking at uh, financial inflation uh, you know recessions uh, a whole raft of things that are going on in the world and I, and i wonder the more we consume that and let's face it there's mm-hmm. more channels to consume all of that stuff today than there has ever been mm-hmm. before so the more mm-hmm. we consume all of that I, I I think I'm 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 speaking for quite a lot of people when you see all of that stuff and you think, how am I going to make a difference here, right? What can I yeah. do? You could because you talked about taking control, right? When things mm-hmm. as big as you know uh, global warming or, or or you know big wars are going on, how do you take in any way, shape, or form that wheel? And mm-hmm. and and would you say that actually we're better off? not consuming that stuff that we can't really control so switch it off oh, yeah. and focus on the being right is that is that is that a good bit of advice absolutely absolutely so i think there's a, there's a few pieces to kind of unpack there one i have this saying just because life gives you a cactus doesn't mean you have to sit on it <laughs> and I see a lot of people sitting on the cactus. And I did that for a long time with my vision, right? Convinced like the vision means I was going to be unhappy, unsuccessful and alone. Yeah. And so what I, what I'm going, where I'm going with this cactus thing is I see so many people so misguided in terms of their effort to control. We want control and humans do better when we have a measure of control, right? Yeah. It, it, it's linked to happiness. But the issue is we try to control things we can't. I can't control other people's beliefs. I can't control their emotions. It's not my job to. I can't control the future. I can't control the weather. I can't control the financial markets. And yet we spend a lot of time trying to do that. We can control things though, like our attention. Where do I put my attention? And that makes a huge difference in the quality of your life experience. I can control my actions. That makes a huge difference. Not necessarily my thoughts or my feelings, but I can control my reactions to them. What do I do when this thought shows up? What do I do when I feel afraid? And so I think we have to get really clear about what we can and can't control. I think people try to control their emotions in really unhelpful ways. And this gets back to what you were saying earlier about consumerism and happiness. And and that's a a path I love to go down. Um, We have this idea, part of our default programming is that if I get these things, then I'll be happy. And we're chasing this external happiness. As psychologists, we call it the hedonic treadmill and and, uh, hedonism, meaning like pleasure and enjoyable treadmill, meaning you're you're chasing, but you're not getting anywhere. Right. And it's when we look to external sources of happiness, I'll get this, then I'll feel better. You do for a very short time. And then we go back to baseline because that's what our bodies are designed for. They go back to baseline. So when we're looking for outside sources of happiness, it's like chasing a high, it's not going to last. And so we have to figure out where can we actually get sustainable contentment, meaning purpose, joy, despite the chaos going around us. And I think that's possible if you know what to do and you know what truly matters. And that's what I think is so missing right now. This back to your point about detachment is we've gotten away from the things that we, that really do make a good life. Right. And, and often those are, I think those are the most simple things, right? The, the re- mm-hmm. really are really, really simple things Yeah. in a, in a, in a world where people are, are able to better um, self-reflect and become mm-hmm. more self-aware, I, I guess, align themselves to their own values and what makes them tick and what doesn't make them tick. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you believe that that manifests itself in a positive way, you know, from an, 
you know, uh, an independent perspective, is, is that scalable where people get almost like collective consciousness? Um, is, is that possible or, or do you think it has to happen on an individual basis and that's really all it can, it can affect? Hmm. No, I think it's a, I think it's a two-way street, I, I, which is how I tend to view the world anyway, as in terms of like levels of, of influence. Like I am influenced by my biology, right? So we are human beings. We are constrained by our biology. If, if we're not sleeping, eating well, moving our bodies, then our systems aren't going to run optimally. That includes our brains, right? So biology influences the psychology, right? My thinking patterns, my personality, my belief systems, behaviors, habits, but all of that is then situated within the context of social, right? I'm influenced by the social environments that I'm in, the people I surround myself by, whether that's my close friends and family, my business colleagues, my Kansas city community, my um, country, you know, in, in the world. So I, and I think these directions of influence go both ways, right? My habits can influence my biology. Biology can influence habits. Me as an individual can influence the systems I'm in, but the systems influence me. So I think all around what I would love to see happen, you know, if I got to be in charge of the world (laughs) would be that we would put more emphasis on well-being than on financial gain, right? Because we know, and this gets back to our our conditioning and our, our, our programming is money equals happiness. But what we yep. know by research is it does to a point, mm-hmm. but then beyond that, it doesn't, and it can actually backfire, but we have to get out of this, what we've been taught, right. And look at what, but what actually makes a difference, right? People tell me, I personally don't watch the news and haven't in over a decade, I don't know, maybe 15 years at this point wow. okay. with the brief exception when COVID was first happening. Then yeah. I went back to watching the news and then quickly got away from that because you know, it, it, people criticize me for it of like, you're not informed. And I say, but I can't control any of that. And it's just stuff I'm taking in. And the effect it has on me is yeah. I'm angry. I'm scared. I'm hopeless, right? Like, why do I want to invite that in? So I'm very cautious about where I put my attention, what I take in. And I want to be able to focus on, well, what really promotes well-being? What promotes, and that doesn't yeah. mean pleasure. It, and, and by happiness, it's not what's easy and fun. That's a part of it. But true happiness is also, it's worthwhile. There's meaning and contentment. So that's yeah, a lot gotta, of kind of all over yeah. the place. Yeah, mm-hmm. you got you got to work at, at stuff, right? It, do, it doesn't just appear. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that consumerism piece mm-hmm. is, is mm-hmm. has led to behaviors that where we all have expect everything like tomorrow. Right. And, and, it, and if something doesn't work, yeah. we throw it away, we get a new one, but the timelines mm-hmm. to work towards anything of meaning has, has robbed us of, um, you know, gratification in that way. I think what one, one, mm-hmm. uh, one conversation I had recently was around, um, it's taken, it's taken the world, uh, see, see if this resonates or not, but it's taken the world, mm-hmm. Uh, a, a pretty long time to get to the point where the food that we digest or or consume um, mm-hmm. is is now signposted, right? So so around the world, generally speaking, on packages of food, we have kind of flags, right? So so what's in the food? So we have ingredients. We have kind of is it high in fat? Is it high in sugar? You know, what is the protein content like, et cetera, et cetera. But using those flags, we often make decisions on whether we want to continue to consume those things or actually, mm-hmm. you know, that's a, that's a really good looking cake, right? But I'm, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> going to have it because I know it's bad for me. Okay. So, and all the flags tell me that, but what we've yet to do as a society is you know, we ingest, we take in, we digest that food, uh, and we're now informed. We understand the benefits of, of, of informed choice on food, but we haven't done that with consuming content, whether that's through mm-hmm. the television or social media. Um, there's very little flags to tell us, you know, this, this content might upset you. This contains, you know, violence this is uh depressing you know, whatever the content 
and we don't make those same choices we just take it all in right and it's it's Mm -hmm. to your point it's really it's really um i think it's pretty dangerous and i love the concept Mm -hmm. of just switching it off and that's the control thing right you don't have to do any of this you can switch Mm -hmm. it off and choose not to consume Mm -hmm. and just right do the things that you know are valuable to you spend the time with the people you know are valuable to you Mm -hmm. um and you'll be a lot more content, a lot more happy as a result of doing those things than sitting there watching the world play out and the way it's playing out at the moment. Um, right. So yeah, a whole a whole load of a uh, whole load of food for thought there. Uh, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> tell tell me um, just before we break. Tell tell me a, a uh-huh. bit about uh, peak peak mind and um, uh-huh. and the work that you you guys are doing um, in, in the US and. Um, just how, how that's working, what your aspirations are, the impact you're having, uh, all, all, all of those things would be great. Yeah, so Peak Mind, the Center for Psychological Strength, started as a passion project. I um, was blogging, uh, started a, a blog a few years ago, and my co-founder, April Seifert, is a dear friend of mine from graduate school. So we met way back when we were maybe 21, 22 baby psychologists, right? And she had started a podcast at the time. So we started just to, you know, kind of support each other. And we're realizing that really what was driving both of us was this desire to take what we know about psychology, but make it more accessible, right? Because at least in the US, the field of psychology has so much to offer, but you have to go to therapy to get it. And that's a whole soapbox. I think our mental health care system is broken and needs a big overhaul. Um, or the other place you can get psychology is in the academic journals that no one is reading unless you're another academic psychologist because they're boring. Yeah. No offense to my colleagues. But yeah. so we really wanted to take this and say, you know what? But every human with a with a brain, so that's all of us, can benefit from this stuff. And how do we move the needle to start to help people live better lives? So we created Peak Mind with that goal in mind to say, you know, our mental health care system is broken. At least the way it works in the U.S. is it's the equivalent of only having an emergency room. So on the imagine on the physical side, right? We all know we're supposed to eat well, exercise, mm-hmm. sleep. Mm-hmm. You get your vaccinations and you have your your routine visits to make sure everything's kind of okay. So we're doing all of this prevention work. We do all this early intervention. And then if something goes awry, maybe you go see a specialist. And then if there's a crisis, you go to the emergency room. On the mental health side, we don't do any of this. We don't talk about the prevention pieces, the basic, here's how you work and here's what you need to work well as a human. We just wait until something really goes awry till you have a diagnosable mental health condition and then you go to therapy. I love this. And I don't think that's- I I absolutely love Mm -hmm. this. Because over here in the UK as well, all of the focus is on remediation and critical support. And the, you know, let let me, you know, basic terms, but I think 75% generally of the population in the UK are able to manage the ups and downs of life. It's still stressful. It's still, Mm -hmm. you know, um, euphoric at times, but generally speaking, they can manage it. That 75% is just forgotten in the conversation, just completely forgotten. And we, we focus entirely and we should have a a, a focus on the people who need help and support the most, of course. But what I'm saying is not not to the exclusion of the majority of the population in terms of being part of the conversation, right? Absolutely. Well, I mean, and think about, I don't know how it was over there, but when COVID first hit, right, people stopped going in for medical care right? So heart conditions worsened, cancers worsened, diabetes, all of these things. And now physicians are seeing, oh my gosh, here's all of these things that where people didn't get early intervention and now it's critical and potentially fatal. And that, to your point, that's what we're doing on the mental health side. We wait until things get so bad that then we try to intervene and get you back to kind of baseline functioning. And I would argue one that's that's not meeting the needs and we're seeing that right the rates of mental health anxiety stress depression everything has skyrocketed exponentially in the last 3 years we are not doing okay yeah and we could be doing so much better is the thing and so i mean you know my day job is still working one on one to help people who are in 
that, you know, 25%, but I really want to help everybody live better lives. Cause there are so many people who are running around and they're suffering and they don't even know, right? So as an anxiety specialist, that's, that tends to be the lens I see things through. So many people have anxiety at, at it's 20%, just about 20% have a diagnosable anxiety disorder right wow. now. 40% of at least uh, people in the workforce endorse significant anxiety in the last day, right? So this is a lot of people and I'm very passionate, very like clearly fired up about this. I want to help people live better lives. And so that's where peak mind came as a way to say, you know what, we need some other stuff in here. So we do some free content. I'd write a blog every week, which is intended to be actionable information and tips and inspiration to kind of how to human better. Um, April has a podcast. She's on break right now, but there's six seasons of episodes that are tremendously useful. And then we partner with companies and organizations to do trainings and workshops to really teach people about this. But the thing is, we're, we're trying to get away from calling it mental health and just saying, yes. you know, this yep. is learning and professional development, right? Yep. So it's kind of like yep. tricking kids into eating their vegetables when you hide them in a chocolate muffin, like have something <laughs> that you're going to enjoy, but it's actually really good for you. That's what we're trying to do. Got it. And, and, and you're right around kind of the stigma right so so the, mm -hmm. the mental health stigma um so that that's a challenge and having the conversation mm -hmm. um, that that's ubiquitous is is challenging mm -hmm. in itself without those uh without those taglines right mm -hmm. um, so um op opening on uh, opening up that conversation to make sure it includes everyone uh, that that passion is 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 the same i think um, for a lot, of, a lot of people and getting away from the stigmas, removing the stigmas and, and treating health actually more holistically. So you, you talked about stop waiting until it gets to a critical, uh, severe point. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think about kind of the physical aspect. If, if you're, I don't know, out, out for a run or something and you're going to kind of a niggle in your knee or your ankle, or maybe you get a blister, you know, you carry on running. Or, or, or you don't, right? And and everyone's mm -hmm. threshold um, mm -hmm. will be different, right? So everyone will view where they're at physically and take a decision mm -hmm. on whether they continue to to do the run or or they pull out and look after themselves. And I think education around that from a from a, the other side of of health mm -hmm. is 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 critical because um, learning to understand when to listen to your body or to your mind is a piece mm -hmm. that I think is missing. Right. And, and so promoting that yeah. as much as we can is, is a really, is a really pertinent point. I think I'm, I'm delighted to hear, I, I don't know, over, over here in the UK and may, maybe this is unfair, right. But, but I, I think there's a lot of, there's a, there is a lot of stigma. There are a lot of kind of white coats, if you like. Mm -hmm. and, and this is why I'm so passionate about the podcast because you know, we're hearing from just regular people on their regular lives, but actually those are all, it's, it's amazing how common the things that mm -hmm. we all go through are, right? And we think, I, I, I don't know whether this sounds bad or not, but we think we're all kind of inverted commas, like special, and we're going through this thing yeah. alone, <laughs> and everything we experience is unique and it's, and actually, you know, forget even the people that are on the earth now, right? And generations before us have all gone through the same challenges. And the bit that we've got wrong, I think, is we haven't learned from those, right? We we have in some form yeah. through written word, but I think, imagine imagine the, the world, Ashley, in like, you know, I don't know, 50, 60 years where you've got this, I don't know, terrifying prospect of, of, of AI, taking the voice of those who are departed and allowing you to have a conversation with them after they're departed. So, you know, that, that to me, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm old fashioned, but that to me is an unhealthy thing because potentially, right. And, and everyone will look at it differently and, 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 you know, mm -hmm. absolutely their perception is, is, is the right one for them. But to me, that gets in the way of a really natural process which is kind of bereavement right and 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 letting our loved ones go and if technology mm -hmm. can suddenly say hey you can still talk to 
you know, your mum or your dad or uh, I, I'm not sure that's a good, I'm not sure that's a good way to go. Um, and I wonder yeah. how that impact our evolution, right? And our minds even further, the acceleration yeah. of technology is is frightening. And I've been in this space for like, I don't know, 30 years now, close to 30 years. Mm. But the acceleration, it's not just the constant innovation and um mm-hmm. and the and it's just the speed of the thing it's 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 really quite frightening and my my concern is we haven't got a hold of it and it's the impact mm-hmm. on us as humans that's what we forget right mm-hmm. the biological piece the bit that you talked about um the caveman yeah. type stuff what i mean what yeah. what do you do you embrace uh, you usually you're on one side of the fence or the other right do you embrace technology are, are, you, are you kind of skeptical of it are you wary of it or, or are you somewhere in the middle well with technology hmm that's a really great question i mean it's it i would say that i'm more on the embrace it side i think okay. i don't know where it's gonna go right yep. with with ai I, I tend to work pretty hard not, not to speculate on yeah. things that are not knowable. And that's part of the, like, coming back to how do our brains, or our brains don't like uncertainty. Right. In the face of uncertainty, they tend to expect the worst. Yeah. And I think that a lot of this isn't knowable. And one of the, if we go back to what we were talking earlier about control strategies, we don't like not knowing. So one of the ways we get a sense of control back is we try to figure out, right? So this is people speculate and assume and make all of these predictions. And this goes back to like watching the news. The reason I don't is because so much of it is not news. It's not someone reporting this factual statement. It's their speculation. It's noise, right? So with all of this, like, I, I don't know where AI goes. And I think then we're kind of at this point of in the face of this uncertainty, do I want to try to fight it? I don't have any control over that. This is happening. What do I have control over? I can look at, all right, how can I be a mindful consumer of technology? And to be honest, technology is what allows me to function as someone with a vision impairment. This is a great time to be going blind because you can use all kinds of tech to help function. Um, The things, you know, as a writer, I, you know, I've played around with chat GPT and you can throw in and say, Hey, chat GPT, write me a blog post. And so I've certainly had that, those ideas of like, is this going to take away my voice? And again, I can come back to letting that negativity bias take the wheel. And then I'm going to feel scared and, um, kind of go into this scarcity place, or I can assume maybe this is just a tool and I'm going to stay in charge. But I think we have to be very mindful about it individually and collectively and whether that's technology and the way that we think of technology. But I also think if we go back to food, it was amazing to be able to grow our own food and to be able to mass produce it and have it shelf stable. It's done a lot and it's had some harmful consequences. And so we have to be, I think, just very mindful of the choices that we make across the board. And what we're doing. And then also mindful of the attitude we want to have. Do I want to embrace this and choose to assume that things are going to be okay and be optimistic and have some hope? Or do I want to be scared? I love that. And 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 again, that's the choice, mm-hmm. right? And every one of us have got one mm-hmm. um, on, on a number mm-hmm. of things. Do, do, you, do you mind if we mm-hmm. talk about the vision impairment thing? Um, the, sure. The, yeah, because I found it really inspirational. And, and again, I think it reflects or it comes back to that choice. Um, mm-hmm. you know, am, am I going to be a victim of something and and kind mm-hmm. of you know, suffer and and just be down and be broken by it? Or am I going to be the best version of me that I can be and accept where I am? Right. It's mm-hmm. reality. And, and your story mm-hmm. is really inspirational there. Um, just, you know, you said you, you'd, you'd had something going on from, from your early life. Had that, had that informed Mm. the journey that you're on now, or do you think those two things are are completely independent from each other? You know, your, your, your enthusiasm, enthusiasm around making an impact and making a difference to people. Mm -hmm. Do you think those two things are connected? I do. And, and when I think about, you know, my own personal story, so I was a really shy, um, kid. And I now know that as that was social anxiety, the really ironic part. I got to, to graduate school. I was in a lab studying social anxiety in teens. And as I'm 
reading, I was like, oh, this explains a lot of my early life. I didn't know, right? The joke in psychology is it's not research, it's me-search. But I, I share all of that because here I was as this socially anxious teen and young adult, which just means I was really worried about being judged, um, pretty insecure, and, and pretty convinced that people are going to judge me. And the vision impairment was just, you know, my fatal flaw is the way I saw it. This is the thing that makes me less than everybody else. And that's why I worked so hard to hide it. And I did even all the way through graduate school. Uh, I, you know, tackled a lot of social anxiety because again, practice what I preach. Confidence grows when social anxiety goes down, but still it was this like shameful secret and only my closest people really knew the extent of it. And then it just hit a point where my retinas decided, you know, Hey, you can't hide this anymore. Like I can't fake it anymore. When I had to stop driving, I mean, what am I going to tell people? Hey, I'm taking the bus. Cause I want to No, it's cause I had to. And that for me, it, it really was a, a hard spot. I was, I wallowed really. I sat on that Dan cactus for a long time because to me, I really truly believed that blindness meant I can't be happy. That I was so afraid that if people really knew this about me, it would confirm this is a fatal flaw. You are less than they will not want you personally or professionally. And so it's been a journey to overcome that. And when I think about it, I've always wanted to help people. I've always done, you know, when I started studying anxiety, I was like, this makes sense. People can get better. And, and people who tend to have anxiety are, frankly, they're cool, awesome, smart, creative people with big hearts who have overly active nervous systems. And I love helping them break free from that and live a life that they love. Yeah. But it's been the last probably, I don't know, six, eight years since I stopped driving and really sort of started on what I term my blind quest for happiness. It's been that that's really just sort of, I think, given me a voice to say, wait a minute, there are so many people who are struggling. We don't have to struggle and we don't need to do things the way mental health has always done it. We need to be sharing our stories, right? Yeah. Like as humans, we connect through stories. Psychology, at least traditionally in the US is you don't share your story. It's a very right. one-sided thing. And I think we need to, right? And, and I've noticed that as I've been sharing more, even people who don't have vision impairments, maybe it's not that, but you have a trauma history or financial concerns or an anxiety disorder or depression or whatever your quote unquote fatal flaw is when we learn how to embrace that and share that and connect with other people in a true way, not this fake online, right? right. We're, we're connected more than ever before, yep. but disconnected really. Like we need to be vulnerable and courageous and real. And then we all get this chance to realize something that you said, we're not special. Like, I'm not special. You're not special. I find myself saying that a lot as a psychologist, like, oh, you're not special. And that is so helpful to know, right? From this self-compassion perspective of like, oh yeah, we're, we're all in this together. And that, that alone, I think does a lot to help us human better. Do, do you think, do you think that adversity or challenges generally help you to adopt or sorry, maybe that's the wrong terminology, give you the opportunity to adopt a more positive mindset. So mm -hmm. if you're, you're faced with adversity and challenge on a, on a regular basis, mm -hmm. is that an opportunity actually to, to use it for good, right? To use it in a positive way. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, 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 I, and I also yeah. think, you know, it's, it's an opportunity to learn, right? You're learning, not, not in the, mm -hmm. A traditional way through theory and books and, you know, the academic roots that we all talk about, but life presents us with opportunity after opportunity to learn. And mm -hmm. we have choices all the way through that, right? We can, we can mm -hmm. decide to do, you know, one, two, three, four, whatever, whatever route we want to take, we're, we're in control of that mm -hmm. and reminding ourselves of that is really important. I think it's true as truly mm -hmm. inspirational and um, again, I, I don't want to, I don't want to push too hard. It's a very personal story, but uh, uh, do, do you have to remind yourself? Because again, I guess I'm, I'm guessing, right. But mm -hmm. as a, as a, a, a psychologist and somebody who, who 
dispenses and provide support, service um, and help and guidance to society and people, there's mm-hmm. almost a danger that that you're looked upon or you're forgotten in the conversation, right? Because mm-hmm. um, you have all the answers. Um, mm-hmm. So of, co- of course, you, you, you're you okay, right? And, and the reality is everyone has their own challenges. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, are you, are you, do you have to bring yourself back and check in with yourself on a regular basis to keep that positivity? Mm-hmm. Or is that na- now a natural thing for you that you've, you've inherited and you've, you've got it for the long term and that's it? Yeah, that's a, it's a, an interesting question. And I would say, you know, at, at this point, a lot of the mindset shifts, particularly around my vision, seem to be pretty solid and sustainable, right? So I had to work really hard to get to this point. And, and honestly, like, pun intended, it was a, it's a lot of blind luck, right? I stumbled on some things that now when I look back in hindsight, I can say, well, of course that made a difference. And here's why, like a mindfulness practice or sharing my story. The first time I shared my story uh, and came out as visually impaired, I thought I was going to barf. I was literally (laughs) fetal position in my home office. Like, I don't know if I'm going to cry or throw up. I just put this out there for everybody. But, you know, and and that's called exposure, right? In the anxiety world, it's facing your fears. And that's the best way to overcome them. And so the first time I sat in a room and told people, you know, I have a vision impairment. And I can't see your faces. I was like, my heart was slamming in my chest. My cheeks were hot. Now here we are. Like, I mean, I did a TEDx talk and I told the world I have this vision impairment right. and it's much, much easier, right? So some of these changes are really sustainable. The other piece is just, you know, as a human, how am I doing? I, I do have a really, I think, robust set of skills. You know, I would call them psychological strength that have been honed over the last you know, years and, but I work very intentionally at them, but that doesn't mean that I'm happy all the time. Right. It does mean I get stressed out. I get scared. I get sad. The difference is when those show up, I can be aware of those feelings. I've got the ability to sit with them. I don't have to make them go away or bury my head. And that's part of psychological strength or emotional intelligence is a term people use. I also, I mean, one of the nice things about being in mental health is a lot of my really close friends are therapists. So I talk to them <laughs> routinely, right? And and so I don't hold it in when I'm having a bad day. I'm like, here's what's going on. And I get perspective, but I do use my tools and I have to watch it. Sometimes it's easy to fall into those human habits Absolutely. of worry and stress and and to say, oh, dang. Preaching this stuff does not make you immune to it any more than like a a personal trainer who teaches people how to work out and exercise still has to do the work themselves. Absolutely. It doesn't just magically happen. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to go back to something you were saying though, about adversity leading to strength, if I can, because I, I think, you know, we, we tend to have this idea that like, you know, bad things are bad or experiences are bad. And I, I really cultivated this idea, this belief that experience is valuable in and of itself, right? Mm -hmm. Like good and bad are judgments. Those are shortcuts from our mind. So I try not to even use good and bad because there have been a lot of unpleasant experiences I've had that have actually led to benefits. So does that make them good or bad, right? Like it was unpleasant. I did not enjoy that, but like writing my dissertation, decidedly not fun. Would (laughs) I do it again in a heartbeat because it, it put me on this path of, you know, Dr. Ashley doing the stuff that I love. So I really like to get away from that. Right. And so whether it's adversity or, you know, just quote unquote, bad experiences, it might be unpleasant, but it can lead to a lot of growth. And similarly, just like if we want our muscles to get strong, you have to put them under strain, right? You Mm -hmm. have to go lift heavy weights and then they rise to the challenge. Psychologically, it's the same thing. I mean, think about every hero in any movie or story that you, that you like, they all had some sort of adversity that then they overcome. Absolutely. And, and, and we and, need and to be thinking about this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. I love that narrative as well, because the good, bad, mm-hmm. thing, we, we actually, we, we were debating this at the very beginning of our journey. So we had, you know, mm-hmm. a whole host of emotions where we, we thought, you know, you can select a good emotion or, you know, a positive emotion or a negative emotion. And the reality mm-hmm. we came to is there are neither. 
right? So, right. so they're all they're all emotions, and they're all mm-hmm. absolutely normal, right? So, so yeah. if you're experiencing something, that's absolutely normal. You don't need to shy away from it, or like you say, fight it. It's just part of life, mm-hmm. and accepting that. Um, yeah, seems to be something that we 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 fight. I want to come back to you as well on the anxiety thing. Like you, I love, <laughs> I love that. Uh, I'm going to be laughing about that for a long time in terms of being doubled over because that that's such a good way to describe how anxiety grabs you and it becomes all consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I want to ask you this: when you got it out there, was it? Give me a percentage number in terms of what you'd imagined this terrible kind of car crash to be before you mm-hmm. did it oh my goodness mm-hmm. it's going to be xyz it's going to lead to xyz and then mm-hmm. all of the anxiety that led up to that point and then you do it how much of that catastrophic <laughs> uh situation None. did it actually lead to yeah None, none. And that's the thing, right? Like my brain had convinced me if people know this, right? No one's going to want to be with you. They're not going to want to talk to you. They're not going to want to, you know, professionally or personally. And so, you know, and it wasn't like a one-time thing. It was this has been a gradual process of taking steps, right? And that's how it works with all fears. You don't have to, you know, confront your biggest one right off the bat. You stretch outside of your comfort zone a little bit and then your comfort zone gets bigger. Cool. And then you stretch it again and then it gets bigger. Cool. So for me, it was, I remember right. That fetal moment was I had posted my story online to do some fundraising for the foundation fighting blindness, which it's an organization that's funding the cutting edge research that if there's any hope for treatment for me, they're the ones leading the charge there. So felt pretty important to help fundraise for them. So decided to put my story out there and I remember I was really into ballroom dancing at the time. And the first time I went to the studio after that, I assumed people were going to be like, oh no, and not ask me to dance or not say <laughs> hi. And it's been the complete opposite. What, I, what I've noticed, I, I mean, I have yet to have anyone who knows about my vision react to me in a negative way. And maybe they're doing it behind my back, but I can't control that. So I'm not going to think about it, but people have been really, really supportive. I mean, if anything, it's been good for the ego because they're like, wow, that's really amazing or inspirational. And I'm yeah. like, oh, tell me more. Oh, well, it is, but right? it's been, it's... yeah, and it, but it's helped me really get to a place of, of self-acceptance. And I mean, cards on the table, I wouldn't choose. If someone gave me a choice right now, keep my vision impairment or have 20-20 vision, I'd probably take the 20-20 vision right. at this. I mean, right. um, but it's definitely... I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's been okay. Professionally, people still want to work with me. I've had opportunities personally, people still want to hang out. So it's none of those scary things happened. And the thing is, sometimes it's not that it's all been roses. Sometimes, you know, I've, I've had to wait for an Uber to pick me up or I rode the wrong bus and got lost, you know? And in those moments I have to work, I can either feel really sorry for myself or I can find the humor in it okay, I'm getting much better at finding the humor. Um, but yeah, none of the really scary things happened. And I find that that's often the case when we face our fears, most of the time they don't come true. And even if they do, then we get a chance to realize, oh, well, I faced that. Right. So like on the business side, if I'm being really open peak mind, April and I both really believe in this idea of experimentation, try something get your data, try again. So we've had a lot of flops. We've tried some stuff that was just flat out failures. And I used to be really scared of that. Yeah. Yeah. And when you can say, well, oh, well, we tried and the fear was we'll fail. Like, okay, well, we did. And then you get a chance to realize it's not that bad. This is the point, right? And and until you try it, Mm -hmm. and and whether it's failure or success, now you know, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, uh, Yeah. far, far better than, than sitting on the fence and saying, Do you know what? I wonder, I wonder, imagine mm-hmm. kind of years and years playing out where you just sat on the fence, just going, I wonder, right? Nobody knows how much time we have. Right. And, and right. one of the, the biggest crimes for me is just, is just sitting there and in action, right? Just do it. If it doesn't work, 
backtrack, do something different, do something else, you know, exactly. And, and then you'll know, right? Um, right. Nothing, nothing's ever, you know, the final situation or the final decision, even the big decisions in life, you can do a U-turn on, right? <laughs> Most of them. Yeah, that's, I agree with you completely, but it takes courage, right? Okay. And that's one of the biggest, I think, strengths that we need to cultivate is courage, courage to, to try things, to take risks, the courage it takes to be uncomfortable. Because what happens is we don't do things because we don't want to feel that discomfort, right? right? And if you can get comfortable being uncomfortable, all of a sudden the world gets a lot bigger. Yeah. And we're Absolutely. a lot happier, I think. Absolutely. So a couple of things I wanted to close on. Um, number one, mm -hmm. publicly, I need to say mm -hmm. that I owe you a tour of Scotland now, right? That that's so so that's yes. absolutely out there now. So everyone's heard it. Um, so we'll figure that out. We'll figure that out. Um, Fantastic. Two, I, <laughs> I just wanted to and the ballroom dancing, by the way, amazing. So so my, my wife watches something called Strictly Come Dancing. Do you get that over in the US? Strictly Come Dancing? Huh. So in competition it's got ballroom it's got salsa it's got you know latin um it's, uh -huh. a, it's a really it's a really cool program over here that's that's very very popular but i think i think you know you 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 would you would love that you would love that um so the one thing the one thing i wanted to finish on is kind of every day i think everyone puts themselves under enormous pressure and stress because mm -hmm. we have mm -hmm. all these requirements of us as individuals right and we wear many hats mm -hmm. so, you know you've got the friends hat and mm -hmm. the work hat and the health hat and the you know community hat and you know the sibling hat the family hat what, whatever it is mm -hmm. it's really hard to be perfect i would say it's it's even it's even hard to just be good at all of those yeah. things so something mm -hmm. has to give how what, what would you say to somebody around managing their own expectations and allowing mm -hmm. allowing them a bit of breathing space not to be so hard on themselves beat themselves up and just recognize that we all have these challenges and these pressures on us um and that it's okay not to be perfect at everything right um yeah. what, what would you say to that as a close oh my gosh so much stuff. So I'll try to keep it brief. <laughs> what you're really talking about there is building what's called self-compassion. Uh -huh. And when, when I first heard self-compassion, I was like, ew, no, I don't do woo-woo stuff. But the <laughs> thing is, there's a lot of science behind it, right? So the thing okay. is when we're self-critical, right? When we, when we, we all have that inner critic, that voice that's like, you shouldn't have done that. You should have done this. When we listen to it, Basically, we're practicing that line of thinking, but that self-criticism actually triggers our anxiety response. So we're creating more stress for ourselves when we're harsh with ourselves. Self-compassion is the antidote to that. It takes our brain down a different path neurochemically, um, but staying out of that, it really just means being a good friend to yourself. Hmm. So with that, I would say ban the word should. I think that was the best advice that I ever got Um from a dear friend who's a psychologist and it's one of the biggest things that I practice. I don't use the word should in, in my inner language. And I try not to use it externally because should means you failed in some way. Hmm. And it sounds like it's helpful, right? Like, Oh, you should try harder, right. but we feel criticized, right? So ban the word should instead go with, of course, of course I feel stressed out as in who wouldn't feel stressed out. You're not special. This makes sense. <laughs> So that's, that's kind of where I would go with that. And the, I mean, the other way to think about it is, would you talk to anyone else the way you talk to yourself? Would you talk yeah. to your kids like that when they're having a hard time? Definitely no. not. No. no, we're our harshest critics. So we, we don't, we are, but that's our mind doing what our minds do. And so if we can come back to like, oh, that's just the critic program. I'm not going to listen to that. It's still going to be going. It's not yeah. like we can stop the thoughts necessarily, but I can then choose to say, you know what? I'm going to show up for myself in this moment with compassion. And that doesn't mean letting myself off the hook of saying like, Oh, you want to eat that whole cake? Go for it. No, 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 no. I also have to recognize what my, what my values are. Right. And then I have to be really intentional about how I'm spending my time, attention, and energy. Am I putting it toward what matters? 
and th- and there's something there actually to to close there's something there that says you know be the best version of yourself that you can be right so put the put the mask on yourself mm-hmm. first because if you're in good shape and i mean that mentally mm-hmm. and physically if you're in good shape mm-hmm. then people around you in all sorts of contexts are going to get the best from you and you're going to have the best experience as a result of that as well right so yeah absolutely there's no negatives about looking after yourself um Mm -mm. i would say it's critical right i would agree and then that's part of that ripple effect right when we're doing well we can influence and lead by example and so that i think makes a huge difference Fantastic. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us. Again, apologies for uh, the stuttering starts, but I'm so grateful you no spent time with us. And, and there is so much in that podcast that I know is going to get a lot of positivity to a lot of people. So a sincere thank you on behalf of the audience as well. Um, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ashley. Cheers. Bye.